Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
You gave your life for mine Nailed to the cross You crucified All my sin and shame It was washed by your mercy You are the treasure I find My reason for living so Say 
He is for you, He is for you. 
standing. Do you mind if we go a little over today? Man, I'm just thinking about my life. Thinking about a grandmother who OD'd and died. An uncle, I don't know if he was actually an uncle, OD'd and died. An aunt, OD'd and died. A dad, drank himself to death. And a mom and grandma who gave their life to Jesus Christ. And ended that cycle. I don't know if there's any cycles in your life that need to be ended. But can we sing that again? And if there is, can you just die to yourself? Can you just lay those down at the feet of the cross? Can you just surrender them to him and say, that generational curse ends today. And it's going to be different for a thousand generations because of the commitment I make to Jesus Christ today. It's over. It needs to go. Lord, take it from my life. Lord, send us in a new direction, me and my family. Will you pray that as they're singing that? The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace oh, 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 oh
shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Oh
Amen. I imagine that it takes a tremendous amount of courage to leave your homeland and to go to another country, another culture. I heard the story of a woman's great-grandfather at the end of the 19th century left his pregnant wife behind and moved from Croatia all the way to western Pennsylvania to work the mines. For eight years, he worked in these mines and had no communication with his family. There wasn't a way to really communicate back then. The wife waited and raised her son, and a day came when in the mail came two tickets in the name of a railway station. So the wife and the child took what they could carry, essentially a bag, and left. They came over on a boat. They pinned their destination to their shirts, to their coats of where they were going. The, the wife and the, the kid had no real way to communicate once they got over here. Most people didn't speak their language, but they still showed up. And they showed up on that railway station in western PA. And believe it or not, the husband, the father, was there waiting for them with a wagon. You see, every day for three months... He had hitched up that wagon after work and came down to meet that train because he didn't know when they would come, but he was there. I don't know about you, but I couldn't imagine making that passage. I get nervous anymore when I forget my cell phone at home and I'm going on a little trip to somewhere, let alone to another country to a place where I can't speak the language, to a place where I don't understand the culture. Could you imagine doing that? Could you imagine doing that back then under these circumstances? It takes courage, right? It also takes hope. Hope for a better life, right? Hope for a better life drives people this day to our country and to other countries. We see it in our community with the migrants, right? We have reminders of people in our congregation who have left their countries to come to this one, who have traveled not speaking this language, risked everything, had to deal with barriers and all sorts of setbacks, but they came. And why? Because of hope. Because of hope for a better life. People normally won't leave their country if they think it's going to be worse where they're going. Right? Why would you? No, they expect a better life. They hope for it, and they have the courage to go for it. Today's story is the story of two immigrants, two immigrant women, Naomi and Ruth, who form an incredible bond, a sisterhood. Naomi was the first immigrant, and before the story starts, we're told that in the beginning of this book, what just happened. Let me read it to you. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. So they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as their wives. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. 
and they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. And the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So here's Elimelech. And it appears that he may, may, this is a guess, may have turned away from God. We say that because he left Bethlehem for the land of Moab. We, we notice that his sons have two Canaanite names. They are not Hebrew names. They, they marry two pagan Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And, and therefore, we kind of get the sense that maybe uh, they've turned away from God. Maybe just in their trust, right? Because there's a famine going on. They're probably trying to escape that, and they're looking for this, this better place where they can make it. They sought safety, a better life. So they immigrated, but instead of finding safety, instead of finding a better life, right, he finds death. Elimelech died, and later on, so did his two sons. The women now are faced with a a horrible situation, Uh, poverty. Uh, They have to look at selling their ancestral land, right? So Naomi is left by herself, a poor widow with two daughter-in-laws. Naomi decides to return to Israel. She heard that God was visiting the land and providing them with food. But she tells Orpah and Ruth to go back to their families. Why? Why would she tell them that? Because they would be unable to, she would be unable to help them back in Israel. She couldn't have kids. She couldn't give them new husbands. And in Israel, because they are Moabites, they would not be accepted. They would not be welcomed there. Israel and Moab were bitter enemies. They would be hated. They would be scorned. Their lives would be in danger, these two young ladies. There was no hope for a better life for them. Naomi does not have much hope, period. How will she survive economically, right? There are only four possibilities for her. One is that you would work the fields, but She's elderly. She's aged. That would be difficult for her. Another is she she could get married, but again, she's elderly. Nobody would want to do that, right? This society, uh, family was everything to this society. You didn't marry for companionship primarily, right? You married for family. You married a woman because she could give you heirs. She could produce that family for you. You could get that labor to help with the fields and the, the land that you owned. Lots of cheap labor, right? Family was huge. Naomi wouldn't be able to depend on her children. That's the third way that she might have been able to survive. Without sons in this kind of culture, there was not much hope. She didn't have those sons to support her. They're dead. And her daughter-in-laws would not be welcomed there, would not be accepted. They would be outcasts. The, The only other option would be for her to sell the land her ancestral land. Because when a man died, though, the land went to his sons. And when the land went to his sons and there were none, then the land would go to a a family member. So it's really a hopeless situation for her because she does not have those men in her lives. Soon, no land, no significance, no future, right? But yet at the end of chapter 4, With what we just read, there's joy. Right? There's joy. She's been redeemed. Verse 14, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. 
How is that possible for this woman? When she comes back and she sees her friends, right, she tells them, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi meant pleasant in this culture. She says, call me Mara, for life is full of bitterness, right? She went away full, but she came back empty. But that wasn't the end. She was redeemed How is this possible? How is she redeemed? It's interesting. There's an ambiguity in this text as to who really the identity of the Redeemer is. And that's on purpose because there are more than one Redeemers in this story, right? We normally give one person in this story the title of Redeemer, and we say that that points to Christ. We say Boaz is the kinsman Redeemer, but he isn't the only one in the story. We see the son that is born could be the Redeemer We see a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ that we know is the Redeemer, right? The ultimate Redeemer. And understanding this is the key to understanding the book of Ruth and seeing its implications for our lives. So I want to look at the two Redeemers today, two of the Redeemers today. First, the formal formal Redeemer. The word Redeemer here refers to kinsman Redeemer. It's the word goal. That person is Boaz. He's the kinsman by blood, and therefore he is the kinsman redeemer. He has that ability. Okay, what's this about? Well, when Ruth comes back to Israel, the first thing that Ruth does in order to try and support herself, right, is that her and Naomi uh, decide that Ruth should glean. Glean, right? According to Hebrew law, God told home landowners not to harvest to the edges of their property. I love how God builds this into the law. And that's why the people love the law, right? They said, harvest owner, or, or landowners, do not harvest to the edge of your property. They had to leave some grain. Why? Well, it's so that the poor would have a place to get food. They could come and glean it. So that is what Ruth decides to do. But something becomes very clear. In doing this, Ruth the Moabitess was taking her, her life in her hands. To go out into public and to do that, She's in danger. Chapter 2 says, says she happened, she just happened, of course, to go into the field of a man named Boaz. She didn't know who he was or who this field was or anything about him. But it's in this field of Boaz, right? Boaz sees her and goes and learns who she is. And he says this to her this, in chapter 2, verse 8. And there's where we get a sense of the danger, right? He says, listen carefully, my daughter, Do not go to glean in another field, but join my young woman here. I have ordered the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Boaz knows that Ruth could be hurt. She could be abused. She could be even killed. And that's just by his own men, right? And so he orders them not to touch her. She's a Moabite, so the Moabites Moabites were enemies of Israel. They oppressed the Israelites, so the Israelites did not care for them. He doesn't even want her to glean on the edges where where she should glean because because he knows even there her life is in danger. So he says, come glean by the working women. Join them in the harvest. This astounds her from the text. And she's like, why are you doing this for me? I'm a, I'm a foreigner, right? Why are you showing me this kindness? But Boaz had heard the kindness that she was showing to Naomi, to her mother-in-law, and he has compassion on her. Compassion on the enemy. 
while she goes home to Naomi and has a bag full of grain, right? And Naomi is like, where did you get all, all of this? Ruth tells her the story. And Naomi is like, oh my. Oh my, right? Do you know who Boaz is? He's one of our potential goals. He's a redeemer, right? A kinsman redeemer. What, what is a kinsman redeemer? In the Jewish law, again, this is God's beauty, right? In the Jewish law, there was this law that you can read about in Leviticus 25, but it's really fascinating when you think about this provision. But when Joshua led the people of Israel into the land, the land was divided up amongst the families. And each family was given a chunk of land. God knew with all of that happens in the world, right, that some families would fall on hard times. Some, some families would, would fall into poverty, right? And at times they might lose their land. At times they might need to sell their land, their inheritance. Get, but God made two provisions for them in his law that would make it possible for the families to get that land back. Right? First, he's, he instituted the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, the land goes back to the original owner. You lost your land, you're not without hope. You'll get it back, right? You'll get another chance. Your parents lost your land, your parents made some bad decisions, right? And messed you over, there's hope. You can get it back, there's another chance. Secondly, before the 50 years were over, the land could be bought back, but only by a kinsman, only by a family member. The land could be redeemed. And when Naomi realizes what has happened with Ruth, right, what just accidentally seemed to happen by coincidence to run into Boaz, one of the relatives that could be this kinsman redeemer, she realizes what this could be. This man is our relative. He is one of our redeemers. Here's the catch, though. In order for him to help them, first he would have to buy the land, pay the debt, right? In this case, the family couldn't be restored, though truly redeemed, because there were no heirs. There was nobody, even if he bought it back and gave it to him, there was nobody to pass on the land to a son that could get it, right? For the family to be really redeemed, really restored, he would have to marry the last family member, Naomi, and raise up children. The law provided for that. Another amazing thing. Leveret marriage, right? You could marry the widow and raise up children for them so that they would have an heir, an heir for that dead family member. They wouldn't be your heirs. They would be the heirs of that family member. That would be an enormous sacrifice, right? But that won't work with Naomi because she's too old. She can't have kids. So he'd have to marry Ruth. He'd have to marry a Moabite. Deuteronomy 23 says, No Ammonite nor Moabite or his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord even down to the 10th generation. That's a heavy cost. It's a heavy cost to do this. What chance do they have that Boaz not only would take on this debt, right, take on this responsibility, but do so with this pagan woman? Who would do such a thing? 
But Ruth and Naomi go after it, right? They seek it out. After all, this man appears to have a heart full of grace. And so that night, Ruth goes and finds Boaz sleeping in the grain area, and she uncovers his feet and lays down at them. In the middle of the night, something startles Boaz, and he's like, who's there? Who's down there, right? And he knows there's somebody at, your, at her feet. Ruth responds, I am thy servant, Ruth. Cover me with your garment, for you are my goal, my redeemer. Cover me with your garment. In those days meant marry me. Take me to be your wife. Redeem my family, right? And he looks at her and says, I will do everything that you ask. There was something else that they had to work through. You have to read the story uh, to find out what that is. We don't have time. But, but Boaz took Ruth and he became their kinsman redeemer. In him, we see the picture of Christ, Right? Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. It foreshadows it, right? He took himself the debt of the family like Christ took on the the debt of our sins. On top of that, once he was married to Ruth, right, she gets a great inheritance. She didn't earn this inheritance. She didn't work for it. But once she becomes his wife, all his wealth is hers. And we know that once we come to Christ, we get an inheritance as well, right? An inheritance in the kingdom, We get his righteousness, and we get the right to become sons and daughters of God. Our sins are not just paid for. He gives us a new life. Boaz, the first redeemer. The theme of redemption is found throughout the Bible, but it is in particular found here. It's found throughout the Bible because it's a picture of Jesus Christ, but it's so strong in the book of Ruth. A redeemer is one who delivers or rescues someone by paying a price. Ruth is also a picture of that redeemer, and that's what I want to end with. Also another picture of Jesus Christ and a challenge for us. It's an amazing picture, and it's why the book bears her name. It's not called the, the book of Boaz, right? Notice it's the book of Ruth. Verse 15, may he also be to you one who restores life and sustains your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. This, this verse is quite the statement. I don't think we understand it in our, in our culture. Uh, how is Ruth the Redeemer? Well, why did Ruth go with Naomi? Naomi, Naomi tells her and Orpah, go back home, right? They, they say they're going to follow. They say they're going to come. But she says, go back to your family. You, you can't help me. You might as well stay here. Right? Jewish tradition teaches that Ruth and Orpah were actually daughters of Eglon and before him Balak, kings of Moab. In this land, they had hope. They had status. They had privilege. They had a future. Right? And Naomi's like, you come with me, you'll have nothing. You're going you're gonna to give all of that up. Both, like I said, come at first. But Naomi, Naomi insists and tells them, hey, stay here. And Orpah ends up turning around and, and staying in the land. Ruth doesn't leave Naomi, though. The Bible says she clings to her and says this in Ruth 1.16. Do not plead with me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. You'll sometimes hear this in in wedding funerals. 
at wedding funerals. <laughs> Whoa. Weddings, weddings. You'll hear this sometimes in weddings, right? <laughs> Woo. They don't say the next verse, though. May the Lord do so to me and worse, if anything but death separates me from you. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Now, what happened here? We say, logically, immigrants leave their homeland because they seek a better life. But if you think about it, Ruth leaves with the expectation that she is not going to have a better life. And she's willing to do that, right? Naomi warned her, told her, hey, don't, right? It's, it's going to be worse off for you, but she's determined to go with. She even makes this vow, may the Lord deal with me severely if anything but death separates us. Many people at first become Christians because they think it's going to be a, a better life. They have this idea in mind. And that's what we tell them. Give your life to Christ. Your life's going to be great, right? But then life hits them. Life punches them. And so sometimes some wonder, is it true? Is it real what they told me? Is this a, a better life? And sometimes they question their faith. Jesus warned people, though, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. Right? And Jesus says, hey, count the cost if you want to follow me. Count the cost. Your, your family might disown you. Your family might hate you. Right? The world's going to hate you. See if it's worth it. And make that decision before you come follow me. Right? Those that didn't know him left in droves turned their back when they were following him. They were following him for the miracles, right? For, for the, the rock star stuff, for the status and everything like that. And many of those people, when they counted the cost, they turned around and went back home. But the ones that knew him, the ones that had relationship with him, right? The ones that thought that relationship, that relationship was worth everything, it was the ones who had that hope and that understanding that no matter what this life can do to you, you've already been redeemed. Those are the ones that followed him. I, I believe Ruth has some of this relationship, same relationship, guiding her. Because she says, may the Lord do so to me. May the Lord. God is the generic name. It's Elohim in the Bible. It's the generic name for God. And it's what most people will use in this world today and back then. She doesn't use that name here, though. She uses the personal name that implies covenant, a relationship. It's the name that God reveals to those people he knows intimately, not those who are far off. His, his, he says, my name is Yahweh, right? And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where when the word people used to speak, of was this personal name of God. It's translated as Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. That's the word that she uses. And it implies that she has some kind of covenant with him. At least she's maybe even entering into a covenant or making this vow. And because of that commitment, right, she knew what it would cost. She knew what it might cost. She knew what she had to do. She knew it would be hard, she knew there were going to be tough days, but she loved Naomi, and she had this covenant, and that's why she went, right? 
If she would stay, what would happen? This world probably would have been more comfortable for her, but she would have lost her faith, right? If she would have stayed. Her faith would have died. Her relationship with Naomi would have ceased to exist. It's the right thing to do with God. It's the right thing to do with Naomi. Naomi doesn't seem to have a chance without her, right? There's people that might not have a chance that God has put you with them in their lives. Don't miss that. Don't ignore that, right? Don't ignore that calling. Naomi doesn't seem to have a chance without her, and this is important because of who this points to, right? You you see, we know that a redeemer pays the price of redemption. We saw it with Boaz, but we also see it with Ruth. Ruth had to leave everything, status, her name. We talked about her, her family, her money, right? All of her comfort. She pays a heavy price to leave, to try and save Naomi. When you think about it. She becomes an alien, a stranger in a foreign land. But as a result, Naomi is redeemed, right? Ruth 4.15, your daughter-in-law who loves you is better than seven sons. That, That is an incredible statement, like I said. Seven sons is a synonym for the perfect family. Seven, the number for perfections. Sons back in this society were thought of as being better than daughters, right, in this culture. It's perfection, and yet it says Ruth is better than seven sons. We talk about the image, of, the image we saw in Christ and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, right? In Ruth, we see the price she paid. She leaves everything, leaves a king as a father, right, and all that status, and becomes that alien and, and that stranger in order to redeem Naomi, Who's that a picture of? It's of Christ as well. In fact, in, in, in both the combination of Ruth and Boaz, we see an amazing picture of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus left heaven, left status, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, but he left everything to live this life, born in meager circumstances, right? Lived life as a stranger, as an alien. Why? In order to redeem us. So this Ruth is another redeemer. Uh, I should say another picture of Jesus Christ. She also gives us a great challenge for us in her walk and her decisions. The call to follow Christ comes to us all. Two paths open up at one point in front of us. And the decision which to take is something that we all face. We see this in the decisions of the sisters, Orpah and Ruth, right? Ruth and Orpah counts the cost and says, hey, it's too high. I'm going to return home. She rejects the offer of covenant. It's interesting, rabbinical teaching says Goliath and three other mighty warriors that fought David would be born from her lineage. Ruth counts the cost, knowing it's going to be a tough life ahead. But this covenant and what she has with Naomi is worth it. And in turn, God uses her not only in the redemption of Naomi, right, but in the redemption story. From her would come Obed, 
father of Jesse, father of King David, on and on and on to Jesus Christ. That's the lineage here. Jesus Christ, the the true Redeemer, the ultimate Redeemer, our Redeemer, right? The Redeemer of the world. The story of Ruth is a reminder of what it takes to follow Christ. The call to follow Christ is the call to die to ourselves, to leave everything, to leave comfort, to leave our homeland, not maybe for a better life. It might be a harder life in the world's eyes, but ultimately it will be a better life because we'll know him, right? It offers us a chance to be a part of the redemption story with other people to be a part of what God is doing in this world today. The story of Ruth reminds us that your life might not look like how you want it to right now. But hear me, it's not done. It's not over. You may feel like Naomi, you feel like you've lost everything. Look at how it ends for her though, right? Look at what God does. She ends up with a new family, a lineage that includes the promised one, the Messiah. Somebody in here needs to hear that your life is not over right now. It may seem like it. It may feel like it, right? But there's joy coming. If you'll surrender it to him, if you'll follow in his footsteps and be obedient to him, everything will be restored. Everything will be redeemed, even when there seems to be no hope. I want to end with a story that kind of illustrates this. There's a church named Bethel Gospel. It started years ago when two black ladies went to another church and they found Jesus Christ, right? That church wouldn't let them worship there, though. This is 100 years ago. They wouldn't let them go there because they were black. There was a German lady, though, very strong Christian that befriended them. These two ladies asked this German lady, hey, would you teach us the Bible? Would you, would you be a Sunday school teacher to us? Would you come up to Harlem and do it? She wanted to. She was engaged. She talked to her fiance and, and what God was laying in on her heart. Hey, I want to go to Harlem. I want to teach these two young ladies. Nobody else is going to do it, right? He told her that if she did, they were done. Wedding's off. And he said, if you do this, nobody will marry you. The Lord gave that woman a verse that I want some of you to hear it. Maybe because it's not the same circumstances you're in. But some of you have made a decision to follow Christ. And you look, up the, you look at the things that you're giving up. And you may be focused in on them. But if he's called you to something... He's going to give you something even better. Sing, O barren woman, and you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of the one who has a husband. This German woman suddenly realized, if I obey God, it might be, not be the life that I was looking for, the life that I was hoping for, right? The life that I expected but I'll have a better one. If you're willing to give up your life to him, your life might not look like you expected, might not look even like you hoped for or that you wanted, 
but it'll be far better. It'll be far better because you'll be a part of redeeming people, seeing people redeemed through Jesus Christ. And there's nothing better than that. He gives us all an opportunity to be part of it. He calls us to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation, where God is reconciling people to himself. And that, my friends, is an amazing thing. Your life might not right now look like you want it. But hold on. We have a Redeemer, right? We have the Redeemer. Praise be to the Lord, for he has not left you. There is a Redeemer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your redemption. We thank you for the price that you paid for that redemption. Lord, let us never take it for granted. Let us share it with everyone that comes into our contact. Lord, give us opportunities to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Call us as missionaries, Lord. Father, I pray if there's somebody in here today looking at what you've called them to lay down, what you've called them to give up, and they're struggling with that because it's a lot. Would you give them the strength and the faith to do that? And when their life gets worse, would you give them the strength and the faith to keep pushing forward? Would you help them to trust that there is a redemption coming? Would you remind them that they've already been redeemed? And what that privilege includes. A new life. A Lord and a Savior who loves them and is with them through every storm. Would you remind them that he gives them a family to do life with? Lord, thank you for that privilege. Thank you for those gifts. Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.